and we are live. How are you? Woohoo! I'm good. How are you, Andy? I'm doing very well. I think with the whole countdown to step two of the roadmap, the April 12th, hopefully, fingers crossed, open outside hospitality, I'm, I'm starting to get feel a bit more in the mood for enjoying myself again and not feeling so depressed because the winter has us all locked away what about yourself yeah i'm good i'm also you know looking forward to being able to picnic outside and get a pint god i've missed a pint like a draft pint what do you drink then what what, when you say a draft pint what would what would the the lovely girls that you hang out with or the the beautiful sexy ollie be buying you on a on a draft pint sense i don't really know i like an estrella I like just kind of anything, as long as it's not too, as long as it's not an ale, as long as it's just the, you know, classic kind of beer, then I'm pretty... So you're pretty a lager flexible. drinker. You're a lager, because Estrella is a Spanish lager. Yeah, so I you, like Spanish lagers. So you prefer a lager, but you wouldn't drink a Foster's or a Wife Beater in Stella? Mm, no, I'd rather have something like a Corona, but that's obviously bottled. I'm going to apologise, obviously, for podcast listeners. My dog is barking in the background, so I do apologise if you can hear her. She wants attention because of the wine we're drinking, and I do have some food here as well. So if you do hear her, I do apologise. But She's very jealous. She's very jealous, and she's a needy girl, and all girls are needy, aren't they? Oh, yeah, aren't we all, Andy? Especially when it comes to food. I can yes. tell you one thing. Whenever it comes to deciding what to eat in my household, and I don't know if it's the same when you and Ollie go out, it's always, well, what, what do you, I say to my wife, what do you want? Oh, I'm not really fussed. Whatever you, whatever you think, whatever you think. And then, and then I'll get something a little bit different to her maybe. And then she'll go, can I have some of that? And you're like, well, I thought you didn't, <laughs> I thought you didn't really care what we had for dinner and I could have this new, no, no, can I, can I have some of this? So that's how needy you girls are that you really, you really do want to, be to have a bite of whatever you're having. Indeed. Indeed. Like you can't be left out of what we're eating. And obviously, we can't leave the listeners out to what we're going to be drinking as well. Um, and we've gone for something a little bit different. And I know the people listening to this that know me will think, has something changed to Andy during lockdown? What the hell is he doing? But we've actually gone for a supermarket-based wine, haven't we? And it's from your book that we've gone from. And there's reasons for that. Answer, this was your suggestion. It yeah. was. And there are reasons behind it. So I'm going to defend myself. A bit like our topic, which we'll follow on to shortly. I'm going to defend myself. It feels like a redheaded guy needs to defend himself at some point. And that's regards to this wine, I have to. Um, <laughs> so with obviously furlough and with everybody in this lockdown, it's going to be a year anniversary nearly at the time recording. A lot of my reps are on furlough, so they can't send me all the various samples and new wines that I want to try because they work one or two days a week. So it's becoming very difficult to get something in, especially for this recording. Hopefully the next one should be better. So I've kind of had to think, where can I get wine from? And also the last recording we did, because we had a little bit of a hiatus between recordings, because you've been busy, I've been busy. You've been changing the world of media. I've been changing the world of, of wine and cheese in Salisbury. That we kind of wanted to have a look at your book, which you were really excited about. Cause I know in your blog, you posted about this book and you actually bought a bottle of wine, but, but buy this book. So I felt it was only right that we did our first episode after this little hiatus with your book. And that's why we've decided to choose 
this particular wine, and it's an Australian Cab Sav from the Connawara region, which you're going to tell us more about from the little book or the little recommendation side of your book i should say but there's a reason why we've gone for australia for why i selected australia from those pages and that will follow on to the subject we're about to get on to shortly so tell me about what the book says about this wine beth and why this sounds exciting so so this book to start off with i got um so ned halley he's a guy that he goes on Sunday brunch and he does their wine tasting with them over Zoom and they all try different wines. And he's just really fun. He's kind of like this middle class country bloke that obviously just sits in his house and drinks loads of wine all day, living his best life. And um, he brings out this book every year. So I think this is the 17th edition and it just rounds up all the best supermarket wines across, you know, Lidl, Aldi, Co-op, literally everywhere. Morrison, Sainsbury's, Asda, Tesco, Waitrose, etc., etc. And um, this year, usually, I was just reading, he gets invited to all these um, wine sampling events. So the mm-hmm. supermarkets put them on and he goes and tries them. And um, then he picks out his favourites. But obviously this year it's been completely different because none of those events have happened. So it's actually really more of a consumer's guide this year because he's gone to all of these supermarkets, handpicked them, queued up, paid for them with his own money and still come out with his supermarket guide to wines. So I think it's really nice that he's actually done it, you know, authentically as if he is just a normal consumer Mm. instead of a wine expert that gets Mm. invited to these events. And and being honest, being a a wine expert that gets invited to these events, they are quite, they're they're, they're piss-ups mainly. They're they're really good. Um, For those out there that may not know what a wine event looks like, when you get invited to uh, a tasting by a supplier, let's use... um, let's say a UK distributor like a Bancroft or someone, some that we deal with on the big boys, they have literally hundreds of hundreds of wines on show. All the winemakers come along. It's a big one-off sort of launch. It normally happens around this time of year, especially when uh, the chances changed his duty costing, which we'll get onto very shortly of why that's important. And you just get pissed up. So the fact that he's gone and spent his own money I don't want to be cynical. I do think he's going to get a little bit of that back, maybe once things are a bit unlocked from said supermarkets, because when he starts rating their wine, I expect a little bit of a kickback. But that's just me being cynical, do you think? Maybe, I guess. I I don't know. Maybe. I'm guessing he's going to get some, He'll get something out of it. He'll get something out of it. He'll get something out of it. And again, all this conversation we're having now, before we get onto our subject, will become quite apparent when we talk about what we're going to talk about, especially kickbacks from media and other outlets and other bits and pieces. But I think why it's important to kind of not just try this wine isn't based upon the grape where it's from. It's obviously the first Australian wine uh, we've enjoyed together. And we'll cover that briefly in a second. But I think it's really important to talk about the price aspect of wine, just really briefly for those out there that are listening. And I think with us coming out of this really long in-out lockdown, us entering a depression, 
which is further on from recession, as we know, where the growth is predicted to be really high over the next 12 months and then going to be really bad for the next four to five years. It's really important to kind of remind our listeners out there and people that are getting into wine by listening to us talk about the wine as well as the subjects on this show that do not fall into that trap of going back to cheap supermarket wine once this is dealt with. Now, granted, this is part of Lidl's premium range and it's $5.99 a bottle. And you might think, okay, and you're a bit of a hypocrite there. Obviously, we want to try it as part of your book, but I kind of want to portray why it's important to come and support people like ourselves, independent bottle shops, wine merchants, farm shops after this, because a lot of the bottle of wine that we'll be drinking today is actually going to go down to the duty. Now, Beth, do you know much about, do you listen to the budget? Do you know much about the inner workings of the budget when it came out a few weeks ago with Rishi? So I was reading a little bit about duty earlier, actually, and I think, correct me if I'm wrong, this is kind of a guessing game, but basically when you have duty on something, it means that the price isn't likely to go up. So it's like there's been duty on spirits and ciders and beers before, and that's a good thing, but it hasn't been on wine for a long time. So duty does impact the cost of wine because the more duty that an agency has to pay to bring wine into this country or a UK producer has to spend giving to the government, because it's just a tax, will impact the cost of the product. So, for example, whenever a budget comes around, all of our wine reps say to us, the prices that you had in 2021, because they always do it by the physical sort of year rather than, or sorry, the financial, not the physical year. And they say, once the budget has been announced, we will review our prices because once that duty gets increased, their margins decrease. So that in order for a company to make profit, it has to put its prices up. So duty-wise, for wine coming into this country, for still wine, if it's under 15% ABV, so when you look at the real big, beefy, punchy ones that tend to be like American-wise, et cetera, or some from France, which is about 15.5, it's about £2.23 a bottle that they have to give straight to HMRC just for having that bottle to sell. And on sparkling, it's £2.86 if it's above 8.5% ABV, which a lot of sparkling is about 11 or 12. From an English point of view, the duty that English vineyards need to pay on still wine, it's 286 and on fizz, it's £3.50. So you can see why English wine is far more expensive because they've got to pay far more duty per bottle just to the government. And that doesn't include VAT. VAT also has to be paid because companies are um, VAT registered. So like ourselves here at Moores, when you earn over a certain threshold of money, you have to register yourself for VAT, which means that you have to charge 20% on your sales and give that straight to the government. But it means you can claim 20% back. But the cost of 20% for me to buy is far cheaper than the selling aspect. Because if you buy something for a pound, 20% will be 20 pence. So it's one pound 20. You give 20 pounds to the government, for example. But if you're selling it for 20 pounds, obviously that's going to be two quid. So you deduct the two, there's more going to the government than what you get back. So that's why the whole in the news about hospitality getting a slash in its VAT will help hospitality companies improve on its cash flow and get started is meaning they're giving less to the government. So when you mm. buy a bottle of wine, you've got to think on a bottle of wine that costs four or five pounds, the majority of that is both VAT 
and the excise duty that goes with it. So then once you've taken that away from that five pounds, so you're taking away 223 from a bottle of say this wine from Australia, which is 599, and you take away the VAT that's on that bottle, that's nearly 50% or so that's gone just in tax. So whatever's left is what you're looking at regards to the quality of that wine. And then you've mm. got to break it down even further and go, right, the company that's selling this wine, which is Lidl, has had to buy this wine from this vineyard and they still want to make a profit. They're still a company that says, well, we're buying from you and we still want to make our money once we've paid all of these taxes. So we want to make one pound or two pound profit. So the moment you take that away, whatever's left is what that vineyard wants to make for profit and then the cost of making the wine. So the wine itself can go down as low as 20 pence, 30 pence for the quality of wine. And I, I had a chat with a, a really good English vineyard. Crazy, isn't it? it is. It's nuts. And I had a chat with a good friend of mine who works for an English vineyard, which I, I won't mention his name because I don't think it's fair because he was very honest with me regarding the production of wine. And I gave him a scenario and said, if Tesco's came to you and said, could you make me an English sparkling for nine ninety nine? Is that possible to be done in this world? And he said, no. And he said, when he spoke to me about the whole logistics of making a bottle of English sparkling, for example, the quality that goes into harvesting the grapes, how they look after the grapes throughout the whole of the year, because winemaking doesn't stop when harvest is done. There's still things that happen in the off season or when the grapes are not growing, when it's the winter, when they have to prune and stream back all the vines to prepare them for the spring. There's so much money that goes into hiring quality pickers. Champagne's a great example. Why champagne's so much money is in champagne. You have to have a certain certification to prune. And it's really weird, but you think pruning, you mean cut? Yeah, you have to have that. And it has to be picked by hand all the grapes. So you need quality people that can harvest that. And that all costs money. And then when you think of sea change, which I know you absolutely loved, the cost of produ producing a bottle, the cost of what goes into making that bottle. And if you're a small vineyard that's got to produce a wine that's going to be a really low-end price, you're going to put products that aren't sustainable. You're going to put a lot of plastic because it's cheaper. And nowadays, we don't want that. We want better quality wine. We don't know where it comes from. And so we compromise that for the cheaper end. And what I want people to realize is when you come out of this lockdown, if you're going to shop in the supermarket, do look at these books because obviously this man's rated the wine, which is great, but have a little bit look, you know, have a look higher. Don't look at the four pound bottle of wine on special. Look at the eight, nine pound bottle of wine because more of that money is going into the production of the wine and the quality rather than it is going for all the logistical packaging, production, excise, margins, and actually you're paying 20 pence for the wine. Would you do that for food? Would you say that if a chicken uh, on your table every Sunday, out of everything that you paid for it was 20 pence was the quality of life of that animal, would you say you'd be happy paying that? No, you wouldn't. So why mm -hmm. compromise on something like wine, which is a huge commitment because you want the wine to be as good as your food. So that's why I wanted to kind of highlight picking this wine. And what do you think about that personally? No, I agree. I completely agree. And if it comes down to, I'm all about buying things from our own country and as locally as you can. And if it comes down to buying, you know, spending more money to do that, I would rather invest the cash for one, a better wine, and two, to know that it was made down the road and I'm supporting a vineyard that's down mm. the road or something like that. Like I was in Selborne a few weeks ago and they had an English sparkling wine in um, 
this little Gilbert White shop and it was called Selborne Sparkling and it was just beautiful. The bottle was beautiful. It just looked gorgeous. And I thought, you know, next time I'm looking for an English sparkling, that's what I'm going to go for because mm, it's made, mm. you know, an hour and a bit down the road. Um, and I just, I would rather know and support local and be able to, when I'm sharing it with friends, say, guess what? This is made down the road instead yeah. of... Yeah, this has got absolutely no story to it. I went to Lidl and there was a load of weirdos in there, and I picked it out for five ninety nine. <laughs> Welcome to the world of Lidl, and and I agree and I agree with you. And speaking to this said person at the English Vineyard, he said, "I don't want to deal with supermarkets. I don't want to deal with the mass production. I'd rather sell my brand in farm shops." local independents, hospitality places, merchants, because I know they're not going to squeeze me on price that I'm going to think, what's the point in me making this? But also it's going to be appreciated, like the likes of yourself that could be sitting around with friends going, look where I got this from. And you're going to enjoy it with food that you've also sourced from butchers, bakers, candlestick makers, well, don't eat them, but obviously people that are making food that's organic, you know it's come from sustainable and from this country, it does cost a bit more. But so saying that, we should get on to drinking said wine. And it's a cab surf from Conorara, which is in South Australia, which is kind of between the, the really hot and cool climate of that part of Australia. My geography isn't great regards to Australia, so I had to kind of do a little bit of a read on that side. So it kind of sits between those two different climates. And with Australian wine, a lot of it comes from the hot part of Australia, which is that southern central part, and it tends to be really juice-driven. Cab Sav, um, especially for warm climates, will be more black cherry-driven, blackberry-driven anyway. Um, what does your book say with regards to what we should be getting from this? It's big, juicy, with black currant intensity and wholesome. Wonderful. So... Let's give that a good smell. I mean, it's definitely got quite some earthy notes on the nose. Almost oh, like a little bit of spice. The colour as well, as you're looking at the colour, it's really deep, isn't it? Really yes. deep, real dark, sort of almost bloodish colour that I'd expect, it's you know, the deep blood. It's very viscous, yeah. isn't it? Which I really love in red. I love red being that dark. So smell, smell on the nose. Again, got a little bit of spice on there. Ooh. It smells Ooh, good. And I have, I tell you, I have opened this wine half now before we started recording anyway, because I felt it needed to have a bit of breathing time to try to get the best from it. Again, respect the wine, it respects you. So let's give it a try and see what we think. Cheers, cheers, cheers over the, the Zoom again. <laughs> the void that is my empty home. Actually, it's not too bad. I do apologise for my slurping for podcast listeners. How exciting was that? Hearing my, my slurp down the, the microphone. <laughs> yeah. we're always professional here at one i know it's almost like people are listening to us being at home via the the medium of technology what do you think i mean for me it's not got much length to it it's not going to continue on it's nice it's got the cherry aspect it's got a bit of black currant there tannins are all right against the acidity it's it's all right it's it's not bad what do you think it's very impactful initially like i feel like there's a lot going on um it smells nicer than it tastes i yeah, think it's, it's all right it's an all right wine. i mean this is a type of wine where on the back of the bottle it states this wine pairs wonderfully with lamb steak and beef stew and i can imagine having a good wholesome stew and drinking this it's not gonna be 
a stunning wine that has its own place on a table, but it's okay. It's all right. It's got a bit of flavor. It's got no length. The acidity is high on it. The tannins work all right. And this is $5.99 and Ricard has been a premium supermarket bottle of wine. Now, how much of that is actually on the physical wine itself? If I bought another bottle from what I would pay, I would say I could pick a better Australian red for my reps. That would be far more money, probably double that price, but you'd get more on the wine itself rather than probably a lot of that's gone on the duty. But it's drinkable, yeah. correct? Yeah. It's drinkable. We've got to remember, I'm not a red wine drinker. So this is actually my second red wine mm. that I really ever tasted aside from going to my mates when they're down the pub go on let me have a sip of your drink and i never like it whenever i try their reds and this one i don't know whether it's me getting older or my palate being more refined but it's not as offensive as i was expecting it to be yeah but i really couldn't drink a lot of this no it, i think the tannin and acidity is a little bit unbalanced and mm. I know through learning your profile, you do like things that have got a good smoothness to it. So if it was a much smoother, not so high in acidity, but had more of the fruit, I was expecting it to be sweeter. I was expecting it to be more fruit driven because of where it's from. It gets a lot more warm sort of weather, a lot more sun. It's hotter. I expect the sugar levels to be higher, but it's just, it's just, it's an everyday wine. And this is Lidl's premium. So for you, you guys out there listening, just think if Lidl had a higher price range, something which was read in 10, 11, 12, I reckon this would be a hell of a lot better. But it's mm. it's introducing you to it why you should look at one as well. Yeah. Well, that being said, we need to kind of move on to the subject in hand and why Australia was the region we picked wine from. So, Beth, what are we talking about today? Today, we are talking about Megan and Harry and their Megxit. <laughs> Mexit. Mexit means Mexit. <laughs> Mech. Mech. Mexit. Wow. It's um it's a it's a it's a kind of such and just for the for the kind of for those that are thinking what well, Australia Link Commonwealth Commonwealth wine, that's why yeah. we've gone for it. Just let's get that out of the way. So at recording, this is a week after the Harry and Meghan interview. And a lot's happened in the world since that interview. It almost seems like that interview's kind of gone into the the background of everything else that's happened in the meantime. So mm. what's your thoughts on this? Let's let's talk about it. Lead the way, Beth. Talk about talk about Firstly, Mexit. I'm just gonna say the Oprah memes that have come out of this are hilarious. The whole were you silenced or were you silenced? It's just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> is that is that has there been many memes doing the rounds about Oprah then? Oh my god, yeah. That that one is just like loads of people talking about just like really random things, mm-hmm. like a trip to Tesco or something, and it's like, were you silent or were you silenced? And it's just really funny. But um, oh gosh, where to even begin with this? I think it's a really, really hard one. And a lot of me has a lot of empathy for Harry particularly because mm-hmm. when I look at him and I think about everything he's been through and with Diana and obviously as a kid when you're seeing that happen and everything's going on with your mum and then you lose your mum, he's going to have a lot of stored up anger 
and hate because of that towards the British press, towards, you know, potential figures in the monarchy, all that kind of stuff. And I think essentially with Meghan, he got scared and he ran away. I think kind of that's a big thing that's happened here. And I can really understand that. And I do empathise with him an awful lot because I think, as he said in the interview, he was just so terrified of history repeating itself. Um, and I think Meghan's role in that is kind of one that's maybe up for debate. And this is where you come in, Andy, because I know you've got some strong feelings with this one. Uh, I do. And I am so in the queen camp i know i'm a queen anyway and we all know that um but i'm so anti-megan and anti-saint megan as i'm going to call her saint megan of wokeness is what i think she should be referred to now it is uh, i just i agree with what you said so let's let's talk let's talk about harry first and foremost before we get on to on to megan saint megan i agree i think with everything surrounding his mum and you weren't born at that time. If my maths is correct, you weren't born when Diana died in 97, I want to say she yeah, died. died. It was 97, correct? Yeah. Yeah. I always get that year wrong. I always think it's 98, but it's not. It was 97 where she died in Paris. And I remember that day really well. And it, the news was announced on a Sunday. And I remember my mum being in in tears regarding this it was major news where she'd said and i was really young at the time i was like 12 maybe 13 and i remember them saying well the princess diana has died and you kind of knew of her because i was at school secondary school you knew who she was she was an important royal figure and that the, the way that she died was far more interesting because it was that's where the, when we talk about conspiracy that's when the whole conspiracy mm -hmm. kind of was born was because of the situation or surrounding Diana, her relationship with Dodie Fired, the fact that it was this conspiracy and fear that she would drift more towards becoming a Muslim and she was the mum of the future King of England and would that affect him and it, we're a very Christian society and all that conspiracy in the way she died was far more interesting to me as a younger person than her. And I remember when she died, obviously you had the big state funeral, you had Elton John and his song Candle in the Wind, everything was going on. And that whole grief in a young person like Harry must have been unbearable. So I agree. It's been years and years of this grief and this expectation and this put this mask on. This is how you act in the public and this is how you act in private. And I can understand how that would have an impact on him, his mental health and his family's health, including his dad and his brother. But I have to disagree slightly with you about he ran away. I don't think he ran away. I think, unfortunately, he's bought into St. Megan's wokeness and he's woke himself up to a new world. And I think, unfortunately... It's it's probably more to do with that than it is him running away. But I don't I don't know what you, you feel about that. Like um, gold digging him to a sense because that's another thing that I hear quite a lot is you know like Megan's been a big influence of this and she wants everything and therefore she's made him you know walk away from the responsibility mm. of the royal family and in that sense she's kind of a bit of a a gold digger i suppose of like oh well i've got my prince and now i'm just going to take yeah 
And I think, although we'll touch on Pierce Morgan when we get further into this, it's been a accusation that's kind of been labelled at Megan for quite a while, which has been this belief that she's always had an ambitious streak in herself to become the best she can. And that's why she always had this inner belief that she would better herself. And she actually did know about Harry did know about the royal family instead of this make-believe i never googled harry i never looked into the man i was going to marry let's be honest my wife knew a hell of a lot about me before we got married you know a lot about ollie and you've been together for quite a while it's a different situation but if either one of us was famous you would look into that because you just it's it's so accessible nowadays it's it's not 1994 I know she played the whole over in America. We don't, we don't understand the royal family. We don't like get the ins and outs of it. And the Diana thing wasn't as big of a thing, but like, that's just not true. It's just like one of those things. It's just hugely general knowledge. Like, and I just feel like you would know about that. And also she's a woman. We investigate these things before we make these kind of mm. things. I'm guilty of it. We've all stalked our boyfriend on the internet. Like, I just don't believe that she wouldn't have known what she was signing herself yeah. up for. And I and think, sorry, yes, continue. Sorry. I was just going to say, and if I was someone that was thinking of marrying into a huge country's royal family, I would look up the things that I was going to have to sacrifice, the way I was going to have to behave, all this mm. kind of stuff, before I got massively involved and decides whether that was something I was willing to commit to or not. Mm. And I think just to kind of finish off the brief touching on Harry on this before we return to him, more than likely throughout this conversation, um, I just think he's been very naive in his approach to if this is true, that she didn't know anything about him, about communicating to her what her life would be like once we get married. And him knowing, let's be honest here, unlike Kate, Kate has it differently because Kate is a English white woman. Megan is an American mixed race woman. So she's got a lot more of history going on her side than Kate has. The first mixed race, the first American properly in the royal family, if we excuse the other, obviously, the, the, the other American lady that was involved in our royal family during the wartime. So he must have known with the tabloid press, social media, if he's comparing this to Diana, he must have realised, look, we have to have a sit down and talk about this because this is a big commitment from your point of view. And I really think that he didn't communicate it properly, but he's been woke to this whole new world of what he can achieve by St. Megan and has followed her because I deep down think he doesn't want to admit that he was wrong in saying that Megan could handle this. And I think his family have said to him multiple times, it's probably why he doesn't get on with his dad and he doesn't get on with his brother, is because they probably said to him, are you sure? Because we don't think she can handle it. And going through the interview, it glaringly looks like she couldn't handle this but I don't think she fully knew from Harry, for his negative side, what to expect, if, if that's mm. honest. It's down to him as well. It's not just down to her. It's down to him. He should have told her. And also, I wish I wish that all of this was dealt with with a better PR head-on, because if the monarchy had done it right in 
not talking about the monarchy as in like the queen but as they call it the institution the firm mm. but like you know the pr people the communications officers the people that advise the queen if they had dealt with it better and megan had dealt with it better and harry had dealt with it better i think it could have been really cool i think it could have been quite a good step for the royal family it could have been harry's always had this fun frivolous side of him bringing in this like hollywood female lead actor they could have been something a little bit modern and different that the royal family lacks and it lacks it for a reason and i don't necessarily think that they should have this part of them but i think because harry hasn't got any duty to the throne i think maybe bringing that little bit of more access to the royal family and giving that to the people would have been a good move it's just a shame because i think it could have been really good but the thing is you are saying exactly what was said at the start of this relationship the press which is one of the biggest reasons that they left uk and i'll I'll quote what harry said on an unseen footage which was shown in the states and cbs what wasn't shown over here because they're talking about the second part of this was that the media was racist towards megan but at the start and i remember this because we showed the wedding in the bar we got a tv license specifically to show this Everyone was on our side. Everyone was saying on every news channel, debate show, this is going to modernise the monarchy. This is going to bring the monarchy to the 21st century. It's going to bring in a whole new generation of people that will look at the royal family and go, actually, it's not as stuffy and odour what we think it is. The anti-royalists that think it's not needed. This is going to modernise it with William potentially going on the throne in the next 20, 30 years. And you've got this diverse um, woman from America that's coming. It's going to be great. But it didn't end up like that because it seemed to it seemed to snowball quite quickly. And it seemed to snowball quite quickly by the way that Megan was reacting to the position she was in. And again, if we want to talk about the diversity side of it, the accusations that she made regarding various stories and the race side, which I know we want to cover, just has made people like myself really hate i really dislike this woman she compares herself to the little mermaid and that's really i mean the the first thing that really bugged me about this interview because i know i watched it before you did i know you, you caught up with it was this whole making kate cry story and it was something she's kind of pinned a lot of this anti-tabloid racism anti-thing against me on that story which i don't know what you feel about it but not being a girl although i am accused of being a girl at times especially with my luscious long locks that i have um it came across like i was a teacher listening to a girl go and one of the it girls at school the ones that always dressed perfect looked perfect really bitchy behind the scenes going no 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 i i didn't make her cry she made me cry. And it was almost like, oh, come off it. Of all the stories you could have highlighted, that's the one you're, you're putting your hat and your coat on. It made her seem pathetic. It made her seem like it was, she was a spoiled girl. And it was a nothing story. I, I, I'm not, I'm thinking to myself, what, what is the point of this? In the interview that Kate apologised to her and sent her flowers. So like, if that's done and dusted... Why are we all bringing it all back up now? Yeah, and she accused... It's a small incident to then make mm. 
make a big deal out of like especially if somebody's apologized you think right okay that's done i'm just going to move on from it yeah and she accused the media of twisting it months after the incident have happened but you've got to remember that and you know as a journalist is you get a source within an organization that source will tell you what their narrative is whether it's correct or not as long as it's not libelous they will tell you what their narrative and if it's a disgruntled person that doesn't like megan because there's a lot behind the scenes of course she's going to twist the truth or she'll say oh i've heard this and this is what i'm going to tell you so when she said oh they twisted it no 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 they they didn't twist it whoever told them this story they reported on it and it's really interesting because megan as i quote says that the media don't report news they create news and that's exactly what they've done with this interview where they've heard this news and they've gone well if we report it word by word it's quite boring but let's let's twist it even further but the whole initial story was what their 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 source gave them if i said to you beth oh by the way I'm aware that Salisbury City Council are going to build a 20-foot stone elephant in the middle, in front of the Guild Hall, and it's going to be replica of Ganesh, for example, and it's going to have all this, and it's then going to have Donkey Kong out the front. That might be true, but it might not be exactly that. But as it's not libelous, you're going to report on that. And then if it's the other way around, it's actually, no, it wasn't Salisbury City Council, it was Wiltshire Council based upon this, it doesn't matter. You're reporting something which you've heard, but the story is true in some way. But it sounded really bitchy. And I was like, why am I listening to this? This isn't, this is pointless. And a lot of her stuff like that. Big sense that a lot of this is almost like, why are you going to Oprah to do this? Like one, the, the Kate thing, regardless of the media thing, why would you bring it up again? And two, with Harry, I almost feel like this is a this is a feud with your own family, and you're now broadcasting it on national television in the states to some celebrity interviewer. And I just don't, I just don't feel like that's the way to deal with it. Mm-hmm. I just think it's awful that they've that they've almost gone and done it in this way when that's the Queen of England you're talking about. Yeah. And I know that that sounds very. Um, I don't know. I don't. I just don't think it's right that the way that they've gone to Oprah to just be sensational, well, essentially, and they didn't want the media attention, but they've just given it to right. them. So let's break that down. What you've just said, and it's got a lot of points in it, and we all know what these points are and how they've got to this point. And for those listening that might think, okay, I can't see where Andy's going with this. Andy's crazy idea. He's got wine inside him. So who knows where it's going to end up? Let's be honest. The reason they've gone to Oprah for is because Oprah is still regarded as being one of the biggest voices in America. Oprah Mm -hmm. is one of those women that you can see alongside Michelle Obama as being, if they ran for president, they would get it, regardless if they were Republican or Democrat. They would get it because they're so loved. And Oprah's standing in American media is so strong. She was like, you know, if Michael Parkinson, for example, did an interview over here, it was that sort of level of they are the top. So they've gone to Oprah because she's got this monstrous voice. Also, Oprah's working with Harry on a mental health-based project for Netflix and outside of it. So there's going to be a link up there. And let's be honest, this interview 
which was shown in the UK to be highlighted to highlight the royal family, didn't cover her father's side, which has been shown in America, that side of it. It hasn't been shown over here. The narrative was not to build the brand in this country. The narrative was to build the brand in the US, where their marketing team has gone, the UK don't like you. The tabloid press don't like you. What we need to do is see the American market, which is a much bigger market, as where you need to build brand Harry and Meghan, the, the Sussex Royals, whatever the hell they all call themselves. So in order to do that, they need to pick the biggest voice who is going to control the narrative of what's been asked in a way that seems really approachable, really friendly. And meme-wise, look at, look at Oprah's responses to things about the race question when she just sat there for a second and it was that Hollywood moment where it's like, what? That's a meme in itself. They mm. knew that she was the right person to conduct this interview. So the reason they've done all this for is because they know the royal family is such a big, big, no one, let's be honest. Although Megan's family have done a lot to hurt her. I don't give a shit about Megan's family. I give a shit about the royal family because it's a big global institution that has to hold the Commonwealth attached to it. And obviously there's a lot of debate about Commonwealth countries and should we still have that and the slavery history part of it and all that sort of stuff. So that's the narrative they were going for to build their brand. And this is the attack that they took. And it's it's really soured me towards both of them, more towards Meghan and Harry. Um, but I still think Harry could save himself. Fellow ginger, same age as me. Ginger, he can save himself. But I do think we have to obviously cover the points that she did she did touch on. And obviously the the race aspect where she was she was um highlighting the potential how dark her baby's skin was going to be when they were talking about Archie. Mm. Now, what do you think about that and that conversation? I think if it, if it was said, it's an awful thing to say. Mm. It's not something that even should have been in question by anyone in the royal family. Um Okay, let's put let's play devil's advocate because it is yeah. Let's play devil's advocate for a second. Let's put me in that position, and I am a ginger like Harry. I'm going to joke about it. I'm allowed to, but let's put me in that position. Do you think it's unrealistic for if my wife was black and we were pregnant? And I said, well, we're pregnant. Do you think it's an a racist or unrealistic question to ask for my mum or my dad to say? I wonder I wonder what genes they're going to get from both of you. Are they going to have the beautiful complexion of your wife or are they going to get your ginger hair? They're going to get both. I, I wonder I wonder what's going to come out of this bacon mm. of nine months. Do you think that the conversation was more along those lines and Harry took it the wrong way and became very sensitive because there were a lot of behind the scenes conversations of my wife can't do what she wants to do. And, you know, all these various tension buildups or uh, is she prepared for what's going to come? Oh yes, she is. And, you know, maybe her brother and his dad not liking the fact that she's a bit too deverish or something. And he took this too sensitively, went and told Megan. And then obviously Megan's then taking it down that they must be racist. Cause if you look at the interview, she mentions it and Harry turns around and says that, 
he will never share that conversation and doesn't feel comfortable in talking about it. Do you think he's in remorse? Because it wasn't a racist conversation. It was a general, oh, I wonder how how the baby's going to come out. Is that racist? Or is he embarrassed? Because yeah. is he hiding... Is he hiding how bad the conversation actually was? I think a lot of this comes down to context. And I think if it was a genuine conversation and both Harry and Meghan were there and it was like people that truly loved them and they were like just genuinely, you know, having that conversation of, I wonder what the baby's going to look like. I think that it would be naive almost to say that the royal family doesn't have pretentiously, um, I don't know, I think they've got, not, I wouldn't say that they're racist, but I think that they have old school racial ideologies that maybe came across in the wrong way. I don't know. I think, you know, and these people as well, you don't know who had that conversation. Mm. Maybe if it was Harry's dad, it was, came from a genuine place of, well, they're not even on good terms anyway, but if it was, you know, genuine, but I feel like if those were people of the institution and people that run the kind of PR side of the monarchy, I don't think that they would have been from a good place. Mm. I, 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 again, I have to kind of little bit disagree with you on that front because the fact that there's such, you know, a large portion of the Commonwealth being such a diverse population, I can't I can't see that of the royal family. If you see, let's be honest, they they made a point to come out and say it wasn't the Queen and it wasn't Philip. And there's two reasons why they did that for. Firstly, because Philip, and as of recording, he's actually come out of hospital, has actually had heart surgery and he's on his deathbed. So they weren't going to say anything bad about him because that looked really bad. And they weren't going to mm. say anything bad about the Queen because they've signed a deal with Netflix in order to produce content and Netflix had the crown and Netflix had to come out and say that half the crown is fictitious and made up anyway. They take events and they stretch it out. So they weren't going to say anything bad about them because it would have repercussions as a negative effect. But we all know if anyone's going to say that in the royal family, it was going to be Philip. And we all know that because Philip has previous of saying stupid, racially insensitive stuff. But he's actually been better in recent years because he's removed himself from public life and you don't hear about him anymore unless he's in hospital. But I can't believe that especially with William and with Kate and even with Charles in a way as well, that there is that racial, you know, racist side to them. I think it was just a genuine question that was asked and he became very sensitive. Yeah. But I think there's a lot of sensitivity around Meghan in the royal family. Um, I do really take umbrage and really kind of irks me a bit and this is the woke alt left that i take umbrage against is there was an itv coverage of when william responded i don't know if you saw this he was in a playground at a school when the kids went back and one of the tabloid reporters shouted have you spoken to your brother yet since the interview and he went no but i'm going to and then he shouted is the royal family racist and he turned around and he doesn't normally answer back twice william he made sure he turned around and said no we're not a racist family and what I really irks me is they had an ITV social commentator called Q Fawcett. I don't know who she is. I don't know if you've heard of her, who said that William shouldn't say anything because unless you are a victim of racism or someone who can have racism against them, 
you shouldn't give your opinion and you should say nothing. And that's what irks me about this is when we look at the Pierce Morgan side, and yes, he kind of meant it more towards, he he horribly phrased these mental health aspects and he walked off like a diva. Mm. People are criticising social commentators who are making that honest assessment of, hold on, can we not have this free speech conversation without someone knee-jerking going racist, knee-jerking going, you don't understand mental health, And that's what irks me. And I think this is a worrying route we're going down with that silencing that's taking place, especially with you being a young journalist. Um, I don't know if you agree of that, but that's just how I feel. I mean, I don't think in any sense we should be shutting down conversations. I think, if anything, you learn more from having conversations with people and your experiences about the world than you do by sitting around reading shitty infographics on Instagram that aren't even factually correct Mm. um, and things like that. So I think you need to have these conversations and I think you need to make these mistakes. And I think these mistakes shouldn't be cancel culture-y. I think that they should be not embraced. Well, embraced. I think that somebody should then say to you, actually, this is right or wrong because of this. And next time, if you said this, it would be much better. You know, learning through experience and through friends and through people you hang out with and people just saying actually if you said this that would be better because that makes me feel uncomfortable because of xyz you're way more likely to respect that and actually implement change in yourself than if you've got somebody on instagram saying that you're a racist Mm. and i think that's what's worrying that i see from this when we kind of we wrap up on the race side and move on to more the mental health and what pierce said is that you know, there is that fear between a lot of people of your generation more than mine, that if you do say something that you have any disagreement with what the alt-left wokeism, which St. Megan of Wokeness is all about, they're going to collectively, like a hound of dogs, it's almost like a new bullion, come after you to get rid of you because what you're saying highlights the flaws in their story. And there's a lot of flaws in what Meghan and Harry said, and a lot of contradictory um, things like, for example, the security aspect, that security was taken away from Archie and was not going to give it to Archie and taken away from, from Harry. Security is dealt with not by the royal family, but by the Metropolitan Police. So if you're going to angle anything about security, it goes to the Metropolitan Police. But they didn't understand that that's where it came from and just went, uh, here's a jibe, here's an inconsistency, here's a, an untruthful fact. Or Archie's um, not becoming a, a prince, for example. And I wanted to learn about this because I was very curious of why Archie wouldn't get it. And the actual um, George V covenant that he said was actually that it's the the Queen's sons and daughters all get titles and then their children get it. Now, once the Queen dies and Charles becomes king, Archie would have become a prince because the way of succession where it works, he would have become it. But because they denounced, we don't want to be senior royals, we don't want to have the HRH, Archie already had a title, which is Earl of Dumbarton, but they said, we don't want to call him that. So you can't turn around and then go, oh, well, Archie's not going to get this title. No, of course he's not, because you've denounced all the titles you don't want. So the way it works is you don't get it. Zara doesn't have a title because she's not in that in that line. And again, it's yeah. that inconsistency and, you know, that's, that exists there. But we should move on to Pierce. Now, you've got to love him or hate him. What do you think about old Piercey boy getting uh, oh, booted off about the mental health part? He's just, he's just 
I laugh at him more than I love him. Um, just because I just, he's a ballsy man. He just waltzes on there and just literally says the first thing that comes into his mind, which is always impressive. But um, yeah. He's, um, he's a Rockweiler where they hired him for one reason. There's a reason why MPs wouldn't go on G- Great Morning uh, Britain because he would. He'd ask the questions, he'd stir it up and he would say, uh, uh, shit. <laughs> yeah, stir the shit. Let's keep going. These are the questions I want to know because he is a, a former editor of a tabloid newspaper and they didn't like it. Now he's gone. They're probably going to go on there far more. And you, so you can't expect him when he has these strong opinions about Megan for whatever reason to question it. And what's really interesting is he, he worded it quite poorly and he kind of stormed off and came back and there was, that was destroyed his career there. But have you got I, what you said written down? Um, I, I tried to find it, um, but it keeps bringing me to the, the Alex Beresford um, interaction where he criticized Megan's claim that she couldn't get, help for her mental health not that she had mental health problems and when he came back on he had to explain that verb and say look i'm not saying her suicidal thoughts and her mental health is in question it's how she claims she couldn't get assistance and because he started off on the wrong foot that allowed all the complaints including one from megan to come in saying he doesn't take mental health seriously. And because ITV have got such a big campaign on this, it kind of looked badly and it was the end of the road for him. But yeah, he he kind of questioned the fact that she said, I went to HR, asked them for assistance, and they said, unless you're a paid member of the employment, we can't give it to you. Now, I know someone that used to work at Buckingham Palace. Um, she no longer works there anymore, not because of Megan. And there is two sides to, to how a Buckingham Palace works. She was in a side of Buckingham Palace where they say there's actually private quarters of Buckingham Palace. Where they say, right, they tell you when the Queen is actually in residence. They tell you who's there because they say there's certain parts of the house you just can't access because it's their own private residence. But there's a side to Buckingham Palace that does all the secretarial, everything. And what I think's probably happened, again, a misinterpretation. This is why the Queen is such the boss for some recollections may vary regarding conversations, is I bet you any money, when she told Harry what was going on, because of Harry having conversations behind the scenes, which he probably wouldn't want to admit, where his dad and brother saying, are you sure she can handle it? I don't think she can. It's a lot of pressure. The embarrassment for him to have to go and say to them, you were right, guys. She can't handle it. She's having these legitimate faults. She needs to seek help. He would look bad. It'd be, I told you so. So probably what they've done is to keep it away from that side of the family. Let's go to the business side and ask them. And again, interpretation. Is it wrong for a business side to say, um, well, you're not a paid employee. You are the family. So we can't give you the same like level of support or commitment on this side because you've got your own doctors and you've got your own cleared, whether it be security, vetted people that will look after you. And that's why they are where they are go and talk to them. We can't let you have talks with the people we deal with because they're not cleared at that level. And maybe that's where the misinterpretation comes in and where Pierce has the right to question that and say, well, hold on. Philip was feeling unwell. 
they've got their own private doctor straight in hospital surgery straight away. You can't tell me those people haven't been vetted. You can't tell me those people are not specifically for the royal family. So I agree with Pierce. There must have been people on board, and especially at the start of this chat, we spoke about the grief that Harry's had of his own mental health for all these years. He must have had a counsellor. So why didn't he go to them? That's the question. And what really irks me is she talks about the events where she said the picture about holding the hands. And this is why I flip it on. Before or after they'd left their duties? This was, I believe, before... I think this is one of the reasons leading up to it, where there was a picture that she highlighted where um, she was holding Harry's hand so tight. She hadn't seen it. Until yeah, I know the one. And she'd said on that evening, she'd said to Harry for the first time that she's having suicidal thoughts and she doesn't want to be left alone. She could hurt herself. And what annoys me about Harry, and this is why I think that there's something more to this than meets the eye, not on her mental health side. I believe that Harry was at fault there because if my wife said that to me, regardless of where we were going that night, it is, we're not going anywhere. We are staying here. We're not going out to put on a face or a front. You are more important than any event. Your life, you're my wife. I love you. End of discussion. And what did he do? Put on your glad rags, get dressed up, let's go. And then she spoke about when the lights came down, she was in floods of tears. And he'd say to her, the lights about to come up, compose yourself. I'm sorry, that's not how you handle someone that tells you that it's going to happen. Suicidal. You wouldn't wouldn't go. You would not go. You would stay at home. Yeah. That's a a health crisis. And she's pregnant at the same time. That gives you a a good nothing excuse to cancel any event. And she could have said, she could have said, look, for PR reasons, just say, she's come down with food poison and she's pregnant. We don't want her to come out because she's throwing up. If I'm the event organizer, I go, Oh my God, don't worry about it. We don't want to have a sick princess here. The media will have a field date, stay at home. But he said, let's go out and do this and took her out. And that's why she highlights this picture. And that myself is more worrying and more the biggest flaw in all this. Why Pierce has his right to question it because why didn't he there and then get a doctor why didn't he say right i'm calling the doctor i want a counselor here in two hours because if you're that important which the royal family is and i'm not being funny if he's not important on the tree and went to charles or went to the queen i'll tell you one thing they'd be there within the hour they'd be on call you get here right now because that's probably what they have as a service but to do that makes me then look at what pierce said about questioning the route to getting that help and saying but why this doesn't add up. Why did you do this? And Pierce got silenced because he didn't word it that way. He worded it as if it's silenced. There comes the meme. Everyone's talking about the memes. Here comes Oprah. Yeah. Well, we're surviving and we're surviving with this wine as well. So the Konawara from Australia, I've not drunk. It's got us through. (laughs) It has. It has got us through it. And cool. I tell you one thing. Fucking hell. If they do do another, uh, I said do do. If they do do another, I said it four times, uh, the second part to this. God, are we going to be drained and sick and tired of seeing it? And more Oprah memes, eh? Um, but yeah, wine wise. America can go and lap them up now like yeah, they're Kardashian. Let, let them have them. Yeah, let, let brands, whatever they're called I mean, I now. Really liked, I really liked them initially and I thought this is going to be great. As you said, modernize the monarchy. It's going to be brilliant. But um, alas. Alas, we move on. They're dead to us. And this wine could be dead to us as well. 
Um, I think it's good. I'm done with this. I've hardly drunk anything. <laughs> I know. For our podcast listeners out there, Beth's actually got what looks like just over a 125 in between a 175, I'd say about a 150 measure. I've probably got about 75 measure in my glass. I have had a couple of glasses of this, but I can tell you um, this is probably going to go into cooking. Um, I'm probably going to cook with this. It's all right. But an all whacking speckle. But again, it highlights that whole when you go and you buy a bottle of wine with your shop, just support a local business by going and having a chat with the likes of ourselves and saying, right, I like this wine. I've seen it in this book. Can you give me an alternative that I know I'm going to enjoy? And yes, this might be $5.99, but I can sell you a bottle of wine that's an extra five pounds that you're getting more quality wine rather than everything that you're looking at when you hold it, the label, the bottle, the tax, et cetera. So I think out of five for me, I think for their premium range, 2.8. What about yourself? I'm giving it 1.5. You're far more critical than I am this afternoon. I know, and I'm not usually, but, uh, you know, this whole thing's got me riled up. It's got you riled up. So before we go, obviously, we've got to see what we're doing. So we're going to obviously um, send us your emails through to sort of winetimesourcebitgmail.com. That's our email addresses now. I always forget that. Instagram us, send us your thoughts on the podcast. Beth, what are you up to New Valley? Because I know you're on holiday. Just round up. What's going on with you? We aren't doing crazy amounts. Well, I'm yeah, I've been on two weeks annual leave, not been doing anything too exciting. Um, and then we've got April edition coming up. So Easter, the pubs are gonna be reopening. So we're just kind of just celebrating spring and a little bit of freedom wonderful and for myself i've got another virtual taste along that's happened on the 27th of this month so hopefully this gets out before then so if you guys are interested listen to the podcast get in touch with us at the wine bar malls wine and cheese bar obviously so i think i'm going to bid you a good afternoon and a good day and yeah we'll see you guys soon bye